your Bibles if you would. Uh, we're going to continue our study of family tonight. I need some volunteers to look some verses up for me to help speed this uh, process along. First Thessalonians, I'm sorry, First Thessalonians, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12. Jonathan, 1 Timothy 4, 12. Somebody could probably quote that. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 6. Masu, thank you. Uh, 2 Timothy 2, 2. 2 Timothy 2, 2. Bob, thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, and Miss Bonnie, I'll give you the next one. First Peter chapter, I'm sorry, uh, Psalm 23. Let's let you read the entire 23rd Psalm. It's five verses, six verses, whatever it is. And uh, so anyway, it's the 23rd Psalm. So uh, you can get there for us. We're looking at the family and uh, what God wants to do with the family. We've looked a couple weeks ago at how that God is, of course, the one who established the family. God sets the ground rules, right? He's the one that established the family. He's the one that gets to decide what a family looks like, uh, not us. And the Bible does not describe families. As, let's kind of do that for a moment. Let's tell what the Bible does not describe as a family. Two people living together. That's not a family. Now, you can call each other family as much as you want. It's a nice thought. You know, I love a lot of people. I love a lot of people like family. You understand? But we're dealing with what God describes and defines as a family. And two people living together outside of wedlock is not a family. You get the idea? That's not it. I don't care how many kids they have together. Uh, that doesn't make them a family. By the way, what does make them a family is two people married together, regardless of what their past has been, and regardless of how many kids they have from how many other people involved, when they come together now under God's umbrella as Christians doing things God's way, you know what? God calls that a family. Look at the scripture. It happens in the scripture. So it is true that while we want to really, you know, narrow the definition of a family, God also broadens it because he allows people who have made mistakes to still find forgiveness and bring themselves under the umbrella of his grace. That's the kind of God that we have. And aren't you glad since we've all made mistakes? So there we are, and uh, God does not describe, you know, a family as being two people who are committed to one another of the same gender. It doesn't work that way. It simply does not work that way. That's not God's definition, and he's the one that makes the rules, because he established the family. So we can't just pretend, and I don't care whether they're saved or not, whether people are saved or not doesn't change God's definition of family, right? Whether the government changes the definition of family, it doesn't change God's definition of family. And you and I are bound not by what our government tells us a family looks like, but we're bound by the one who established the home. And that's what we're looking at together. And so today we're going to look specifically toward dads a little bit. And uh, see how dads fit into that family for just a moment. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time together. Father, we love you and ask that you would meet with us today. God, I pray that you would challenge us as, as Christians to examine what we're doing in this area of the family. That we would take upon ourselves the responsibility that you've given to each member uh, of a family unit. And that we would then uh, dwell within your uh, definition with your understanding and your blessing upon our homes. God, I pray that Southeast Baptist would establish 
homes that would bring your blessing, that would bring the ability for you to use in a mighty way because we're willing to place our homes under your authority. And Father, we'll thank and praise you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, uh, we'll kind of start looking at it there. Uh, even though we're talking about fathers in particular for a moment, not husbands, but fathers, uh, it starts out, husbands, love your wives. Now, if husbands are to love their wives, are dads to love the mothers of their children? Yeah, okay, you get the idea. Husbands, love your wives, yes. So while, the, you know, I'm going to deal with dads for a moment, I want to start right there and just remind us that, you know, really, dad, I mean, the best thing you can do for your kids is to love your wife. And in this particular scenario, and I, you know, I'm, I'm not in the, I've often wondered, you know, how you put some pieces back together. You know, when, I, you know, you guys know my mom and dad's story. When my mom and dad came to us kids and said, hey, we're going to get married again. I have to tell you, I prayed. Two things. Lord, thank you. This is like an answer to prayer. My mom and dad have been divorced for 17 years. And that was great. I wanted my mom and dad to get married again. But you know the, the history in between that 17 years. It was pretty ugly because my mom married my dad's brother. And so I would look at the scripture and I, I wasn't really sure. Biblically, you know, where, how God would feel about their getting. And I prayed two things. Lord, thank you. And Lord, please don't let them ask me to do this marriage. Because I'm not sure what I would say. <laughs> And thank the Lord, one day they came in and said, hey, we got married. We didn't bother to ask our two preacher sons and flip them because they knew that it was going to be, you know, sticky. And so, uh, but I've often thought, you know, the Apostle Paul, as he's preaching the gospel to all of these cities of the Gentiles, do you know what kind of homes these people had? I mean, stop and think about it. These people were selling their children into into, uh, you know, prostitution in the name of their deity. These people were uh, treating women as property and literally selling them and trading them and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, and so the Apostle Paul comes in and gives the gospel to these people. And here's what I'm, what I'm uh, most struck by is that God's unfazed by their past. Because their past is now under the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you understand? And so he's, he's unfazed by their past. You, you see God spending very little time saying, okay, now we've got to unwind all of the stuff of your past. How many people in Corinth got saved that had multiple wives or several you know, divorces in their background? I don't know. But what you don't see is God spending a lot of time trying to figure that part of it out. Because it's under the blood. He says, from this point forward, here's how you're expected to live. And it is a wonderful thought that God works that way. So as we're dealing with this tonight, right here in this crowd, what we're dealing with is right where we are. You understand? We're not trying to fix all the stuff in your past, I have no idea even how to unwind some, some things. Um, 
you know, but what we're wanting to do is to go from this point forward and bring our families under the authority of the word of God. And specifically now, what we want to do is dads. So dads, start by loving the wife that you have. That's where you start. You love that woman that is your wife, if you're married. You understand? And then we'll, we'll go to dads for just a little bit. So second, or first Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12, Jonathan says... Now, you're going to have to stop. I mean, you're, I'm gonna, you're going to have to reread these, this list probably a few times, but keep going. Now, some of you may be thinking, Pastor John, you are taking this out of context because that's not written to dads. And you know what? You're right. It's written to pastors. It's written to a specifically, to a young pastor named Timothy. Let no man despise thy youth. Let me ask you a question. Would we be better dads if we would choose to be an example of the believer for our children in, in, give me the list. What do you think, ladies? Can I hear an amen? Would he be a better dad if he chose to be an example of the believer to his children in word, in the way that he speaks, which would be reflected in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. I'm going to say this yet again. I think this is like the, I don't know, maybe 20th time I've said this in 2016 that I think every one of you here need to memorize Ephesians 4.29 because it tells us how to speak. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it minister grace unto the hearer. Have you ever heard a dad tear down one of his children? Have you ever seen the scar that was left by a dad who did not know how to speak to his children? Do you think we'd be better dads, guys, if we would choose to be an example of the believer in the way that we speak to our wife and to our children? If our words had the impact of building them up, edifying, and ministering grace to the hearer, you think that would make us better, better dads? Now, I'm well aware that this verse is not written to dads. But the principle found in this verse is a verse for dads to live by. Be an example of the believer. I wonder when, when our kids think of us dads, do they think, they say, Pastor, this isn't fair. You're a pastor. Okay, but I, even as a pastor, you know, I wonder when our kids think of us. What's the first thing that comes to mind? I mean, if somebody says, what is your, you know, what's your dad's passion? How far down the list does the Lord show up? My dad loves, and my kids could rightly say, football. Tis the season, right? Here we are, Sunday night, the Colts are playing, don't worry, you're not missing anything. 
if you've been paying attention before we walked in. It's ugly. And I love football. I do. I like watching football. And you know what? My kids know I love football. But I want the passion of the things of God to come to mind. And what that's, how's that, how is that going to show? It's going to show by us being an example of the believer. Being an example of a believer. It starts out in word and in conversation or as the old, uh, the old, uh, is it who wrote the wilds or was it magic? And who wrote that? In word and in conduct. That's what conversation is, all right? It's the way of life, the way we're living. Dads, does our behavior exhibit the believer? Now, Timothy was a preacher, I know. And there is no question that God holds pastors to a higher standard. Why do you think God holds pastors to a higher standard? Talk to me. Why does God hold pastors to a higher standard? You are in leadership. What else? You're, you're, yeah, you're, you're supposed to follow, be followed. Someone's supposed to be following you. Okay, do those also describe dads? Are dads in leadership? Are dads supposed to be someone we're supposed to follow after? Oh, really? So I think I'm on the right side here by saying this verse, while it may be written to pastors, has a great application to fathers. Be an example of the believer in word. In conversation, conduct, the way we're acting. In charity, love, compassion, all of those things. You know, in, in charity, in being gracious and kind and merciful and, and uh, caring about other people besides yourself. Be this example. Dads, if we could do something for our families that would change the course that our families are taking, it would be to exhibit the characteristics of someone who genuinely believes the word of God to be the word of God. An example of the believer in word, in conduct, in charity, in spirit. And spirit means, you know, it's not talking about like the Holy Spirit. Uh, it, you know, even though we are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit because we're believers, it's talking about our attitude. So let me ask you real quick. Quick, think of an attitude describes your dad. I'm not asking you to tell me. All the dads are in sweating. <laughs> I hope he's not pointing to my kid. <laughs> what would they say if I were to ask your children, what attitude best describes your dad? Yikes. I remember my Uncle Donnie. Um, as a kid growing up, my Uncle Donnie, there were two things I remember about him. He always sat on the couch with a beer in hand watching television. And if you didn't pass in front of the television quickly enough, he'd yell at you or throw something at you. That was my Uncle Donnie. He was grumpy and crotchety, and, and, he, and then an amazing thing happened. God stepped into Uncle Donnie's life and he accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. And everything changed. And Uncle Donnie went from being the grumpy uncle to the joyful, happy uncle. And my Uncle Donnie actually started singing in the men's quartet. And he went from that 
to doing lay preaching. And he went from that to pastoring a church. Wow. This is the grumpy beer drinker. And that, there was an attitude change. Does our attitude, Dad, reflect that of a believer? What attitude best describes us from the viewpoint of our children? Because quite honestly, our kids are going to decide whether or not to be believers based on us. Right? If, if believing in Christ did little to make us Christ-like, why bother? If believing in Christ makes for grumpy, irritable parents, I can be that without Jesus. Right? Who needs him? I can do that on my own. And the point is, you and I ought to be the example of a believer in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, and in faith. When's the last time our kids heard us claim a promise from this book? We need money. Hard to pay the bills. And from that point forward, we start figuring out where we can get the money. Well, we could sell this. We'd get a second job. We could do that. We, when do our kids ever hear us say, let's ask the Lord? You say, well, that would be awkward in my home, Pastor John. That's why we're having this conversation. Do you understand? That is exactly why we're having this conversation. If we want a home that is going to impact our children, then we need to be, the, like Timothy, to be that example that's going to impact other people who are watching our lives. So, Dad, are, are we being an example of the believer in faith? And when's the last time that you, you literally took a step of faith and trusted God? for something, and your kids knew it. Yikes. I mean, it's very easy to live comfortably and just to kind of get a comfort zone and stay there, and it requires very little faith. And so what we have to do is kind of break out of that comfort zone. And I'm not talking about, like, you know, selling everything and, and uh, going on the road and just trusting God. I'm not talking about that, although if that's what God wants you to do, that's what you ought to do. What I'm talking about is, let's trust God to keep our job intact in spite of the fact that we take a stand for the things of Christ. And if he does not keep our job intact, then we still have faith that he's going to take care of us some other way. Right, Brother Tim? Right, Brother Bob? Right, Brother Rick? Right, I mean, I could point to several of you who have been challenged with that over the last few years. And we've got to take that step of faith. If, if I'm going to just trust God, I'm going to trust God, right? And be an example of that to my children. Let my kids see that my faith in Christ filters down to the way I live. It's not a Sunday event. It's a lifetime event. This is what, I mean, God kind of, says, listen, here's how we have, he establishes the home, and he then tells us how to have a successful home. 
And it's a lot of work. Anybody tells you differently is trying to sell you something. It's a lot of work to have a successful home. It's not easy to be an example of a believer. And yet, that's what our kids need from us. See, well, and I don't worry about it, Pastor. My kids are grown. Oh, really? So your adult kids are not impacted by your testimony? Really? Hmm. You get the idea. When do your kids, when do you think your kids and your grandkids stop looking to you as an example? There might be a time at your funeral, you know, that'd be the, and even then, they'll sit around for years and share stories, good or bad, of the example that you've been. I know this. Both my parents are with the Lord. This is what happened. This is the way it worked. And they'll share stories again and again. And either those stories will be an example of the believer or they'll be an example of something else. And those, remember when the Bible says that, you know, our sin, our mistakes, our blunders might have an impact on up to four generations right? Well, guess what? Guess what our faith does? I mean, we have people in our church right here who are third and fourth generation Christians. Wow. How does that happen? Well, because the impact of this person's faith continues as generations now are hearing the stories and knowing the example that you've been. Be an example of the believer. And of course it ends in purity. Dads, to be the example in purity. Dads, get control of the internet in your life. Be an example of the believer. It's not, you know, you, you may want, you may think that it endears your, your teenage son to you to say, hey son, look at her. Check her out. And be, her, be his friend. But he's already got friends doing that. What he needs is a dad to be an example of Christ. And he doesn't need that from us. What he needs from us is Christ-likeness in purity. So being an example is one dynamic way that dads, you and I, can change our family unit in a very positive way. Just to simply embrace the example of the believer as a dad. I'm almost out of time, so we won't get to all of these, but let's jump into Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 6. Miss Sue. Go to verse 7. And thou shalt teach them. There you go. Dads, I'm going to try to be, I mean, this, this one, I'm not taking out of context at all. This verse is directed to dads and how dads ought to interact with their children. When is the last time your kids, apart from prayer for a meal, heard you, dad, 
not your preacher, not their Sunday school teacher, not their children's church worker, not their Awana worker or their Kids for Truth worker. You talk about the things of God. I am amazed how little conversation God's people have with their children about the things of Christ. And the reason I know that it's not where it should be is because I know how it was for me when my kids were younger. And we, we get caught up in the whirlwind of life. And before you know it, you've gone four days and barely spent any time talking to your kids about the things of the Lord. It's not that we haven't spent any time with our kids. We spend tons of time teaching them how to play basketball better, and how to throw a football, and how to hit a baseball, how to kick a soccer ball. Unless, of course, you're my kids, and it's like, you're on your own, because I don't know how to do those things. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, you know, if we spend tons of time with our kids neglecting the one thing that will impact generations. Because your dad taught you how to play baseball, and you didn't go any place with it either. And it's not like you have a generation of professional baseball players, right? It's not like you have like four generations of professional baseball players, but you might have four generations of Christians. It's slim, seldom that you're going to have a dynasty like, you know, like the Mannings who are going to pass on this legacy of that kind of thing. But it's often, if we will use the word of God rightly and simply talk to our kids when we're getting up, when we're sitting down, when we're lying down, when we're walking. Talk to our children about the things of Christ. And we can argue this point later because I'm out of time. But if it only comes from mom, well, I let, mom, I let my wife take care of that stuff. Shame on your sorry face. Because your kids need to hear it from you. They do not need you to pass the buck as if somehow Sunday school and the things of God are womanly. The greatest man ever to have walked on this earth is the one about whom the book is written. I'll grant you he was more than man, but he was a man. And he was more manly than anybody else you can think of. And it's time that men take on the role of fathering, of parenting, of leading their homes. Be an example and talk to our children about the things of God. And I would challenge you with this. That also never ends. Now, the nice thing about age, somebody reminded me about how old I'm getting to today. This morning I was standing back there talking to Jonathan, this Jonathan right here, about this song. I said, I don't know that song. He says, that's the advantage of being young. I looked at him. <laughs> I'm thinking, you've got that backwards. The advantage of knowing a lot of songs is being old. He says, I can memorize them faster than you. <laughs> Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. Yes, okay. You know, it's like, but you know the nice thing about getting old is you can say more. And people 
don't interrupt you. Only for one reason, just because you're getting old. And my dad would take over a room on many occasions. And when my dad took over a room, it was to talk about the things of God. Now, I'll grant you, even as little as three years ago, sometimes it would get tedious. But he seldom ever took over a room to talk about anything else. The only other thing he took over a room to talk about was my mom. That was it. And I'm, when I'm saying he took over a room, he, I mean, he didn't, he didn't wait to be invited. And he made sure that you stopped talking and listened. Now, children, that's how he'd start it. And he'd look at you like daring you to say something. And wait till everybody got quiet. And then he'd start in. And it might go for 10 minutes, and it might go for 45. But my dad was going to talk to us about the things of Christ. You know, you can do that when you're 89. You know? And that's what he did. He didn't apologize for it at all. You know why? Because what he was saying, his last words to his family are going to last for generations. And to this day, my unsaved nieces and nephews, my Mormon nieces and nephews, here's what they say if they want to give a quick reminder about Papa. They'll print it out on Facebook. You've seen it before on my Facebook. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Because my dad got in the habit of saying that three times over every time something good happened. So my nieces and nephews, that's what they remember about their 90-year-old papa. He passed on legacy. Dads, it's our job to talk to our children. When we're getting up, when we're laying down, when we're sitting down, when we're walking around, tell them about the things that this book has to say. And all of a sudden, our families begin to change. Our relationships begin to change.